0: let's look
1: at Galatians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. And in Paul's absence, the Judaizers had descended on the Galatians like a plague, and they were distorting the message of grace. They told the Galatians that Paul had only given the Galatians a partial gospel, and they were coming with authority from the Church of Jerusalem and the apostles and the apostles in Jerusalem, and they had a superior message, a superior gospel. They taught that salvation was through faith in Christ and the right of circumcision. also certain aspects of the law must be maintained, principally a ceremonial law. And they attacked Paul's authority because he was not one of the original twelve. They claimed superiority over Paul. So Paul gives an account of this apostolic calling on the road to Damascus. And he proves that the message did not come from men, but in fact came from God himself. So, all of this is in chapter 1. And if you missed uh, that, you can pick it up on the website. Chapter 2, let's start with verses 1 and 2. Then after a period of 14 years, I began, I again went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up to Jerusalem because of a divine revelation, and I put before them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private before those of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run the course of my ministry in vain. Now, Paul went to Jerusalem, and that's recorded in Acts 11, verses 27 through 30. And Paul went there actually on a relief mission. And he took Barnabas and Titus, and it's actually been called by theologians, the famine relief visit. Because Paul took money to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And this is 14 years after his conversion. So, you know, Paul has not been sitting around waiting to get his degree from the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul hasn't been doing an online course. He was not picking up all the syllabus of the notes from the apostles of Jerusalem. Paul has been preaching and ministering to the Gentiles for 14 years. 14 years he's been in this ministry to the Gentiles. He's not going to Jerusalem to submit to the authority, as the Judaizers might have suggested. He makes it clear that he's going because he had a revelation from God, and that's in Acts 15. That is, God told him to go and share with them the gospel that he was sharing with the Gentiles. Now, Paul's a relatively brilliant guy, and he could figure out what God's doing in all this, but even if he couldn't, he would have gone. And Paul had not yet had to go and interact with these guys, but he's going to do it because God has commanded him to do it. And for Paul, it's not about his vision, it's about God's vision. It's not about his plan, it's about God's plan. And the reason that Paul was able to be at ease with what was going on, was that he knew that he was in the plan of God. He knew that he was in the purposes of God. If he was struggling with obeying God, he wouldn't have that assurance. And every time he came to a point of decision, there would be this struggle, wouldn't there? Well, I wonder if I'm in the will of God. I wonder if this is just my own desires. Listen, you ever been there? The enemy will beat you two ways. One of the first arguments he makes is that if it it actually looks like it might feel good, it can't be God. If it looks like it might be good, it can't be God. Because after all, God wants us all down here suffering. Right? That's wrong. Number two, that because you want it, God can't be in it. Now, the word of God says that he puts his desires in our hearts. He also says that we're sheep and he's the shepherd and he's going to guide us. Listen, we can cover all of this by simply saying, Father, thy will be done. I'm going to go forward in what I believe to be your will, but I am not professing superiority of knowledge. I am saying to you, Father, if this is not the way, show me. And you can rest in it. You can go forward. By the way, rest is not the absence of conflict. Rest is not the absence of problem. Rest has nothing to do with your flesh. Rest is a confidence in your God. That's what rest is. So, Paul, uh, after 14 years, makes his way up there. And he makes it clear that he was told by God to go. And to tell them the gospel, in other words, tell them what he's been sharing all this time. Now, he didn't. He didn't surmise why. He didn't make. He doesn't say the because. He just says, God told me to share it, so I'm going to go share it. Now, Paul did not start with preaching to the congregation when he arrived because the party of the circumcision had already invaded the Jerusalem church, and Paul wanted to begin with the leaders, as verse two reflects, privately, not because he wanted their approval. But because he wanted to see if the leaders of the church were compromised in their understanding of grace. Because the Judaizers were in the church. And the Spirit of God had moved Paul to take Titus along with him, who was actually an uncircumcised Gentile believer. This is verse 3. But all went well for not even Titus who was with me, was compelled, as some anticipated, to be circumcised, despite the fact that he was a Greek. Now, Titus met the church leaders, and they did not compel him to be circumcised. Now, you remember, as we covered this, that the Judaizers were preaching to the Galatians that they came with the authority of the Jerusalem church, that they were authorized by the apostles, and they were teaching that in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised. Well, this kind of ripped that deal up, didn't it? Well, the testimony of Titus was never physical, it was spiritual. And he was affirmed in the truth of who he was, despite the fact that he had not gone through all the rites and rituals. Isn't it a blessing that it is God who affirms us and confirms us? We set so many expectations about when we will arrive, when we will be affirmed, when we will be confirmed in who we are. But God doesn't operate on those things. He has selected you before the foundations of the earth were formed. And your affirmation is to be known by faith. Because he has already embraced you and called you his own. Titus had the affirmation of his new creation being. So the Judaizers had lied. There's a shocker. And even James declares at one point that they do not represent the church. And after the meeting in Acts, Peter gets up. He's referencing Cornelius. You remember the Gentile that had asked uh, that Peter come visit him. He references Cornelius and proclaim, there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, that the hearts of both were purified by faith. He says, we couldn't handle legalism. Why are we trying to put them under the law? We couldn't keep it. And they agreed with Paul. They came to the conclusion that it is finished. That Jesus is enough. That he has fulfilled the law. Jesus is our salvation. He is our grace. He is our sanctification. He is our attainment. At this point, the Judaizers crashed the meeting Paul was having. This is in Acts 15. They came to spy out the message. They came to hear in order to debate and corrupt the truth. And this is what the enemy does, isn't it? He seeks to take the truth and make it man-centered. He wants to change every manifestation of truth to a manifestation of the flesh. That's his corruption. The enemy wants to strike a compromise between your flesh and your spirit. He wants you to see your flesh as part of who you are. Do you see yourself that way? He wants you to see your flesh as part of who you are. God says it is an instrument. Now, you can play a horn, but does that make you a horn? Hmm? No, the horn is an instrument in your hand. And depending upon the level of your talent, it'll either be a blessing or a curse to those around you. You were made to be an instrument of righteousness. So, the enemy is trying to corrupt and co-opt the message, and they crash the party. And what, what's going on is what Peter writes about in Second Peter chapter two verses one through three. But in those days, false prophets arose among the people. Just as there there will be false teachers among you who will subtly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves, many who will follow their shameful ways, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false arguments and twisted doctrine. Their sentence of condemnation, which God has decreed from a time long ago, is not idle. But it is still in force, and their destruction and deepening misery is not asleep, but on its way. Verse 4, Paul says, My concern was because of the false brothers, those masquerading as Christians, who had been secretly smuggled in to the community of believers. They had slipped in to spy on the freedom which we have in Christ in order to bring us back into bondage under the law of Moses. They wanted to enslave the believers in law. Paul was concerned. The enemy cannot take our salvation, but he can try to convince us to to surrender our liberty. The false brethren were smuggled into the body of believers. That's the church. Now these guys are emissaries of Satan. So who do you think did the smuggling? They are described in Matthew as tares among the wheat. You can't tell the difference. They were all about corrupting grace by making it all about something other than Jesus. That's what I was talking about. They were all about corrupting grace by making it something other than about Jesus. They want to distort grace into a mixture of law and license. For the flesh they give the liberty of license and to the spirit they give the law. That's typically what you get. And Jesus said to us, he says, you shall know the truth. And that's about intimacy and knowing. You shall know the truth. And your intimacy with the truth is what gives you freedom. That's what that verse tells you. Verse 5, But we did not yield to them even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would continue to remain with you in its purity. And they did not indulge in debate. They didn't form a committee. They didn't listen to arguments or protests. They immediately affirmed the truth. And this is key. This is so important to us individually. When we are being assaulted by the lies of the enemy, do not indulge them by weighing their logic. Hold them up to the person of truth and declare the truth over your soul. It was important that they made a show of unity. Because anything less would have been distorted by the false teachers. Anything less would have been capitalized on. Verse 6, But those who were of high reputation... And in parentheses, whatever they were, in terms of individual importance, makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. He's not impressed with the positions or that people hold, or nor does he recognize distinctions such as fame or power. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. That is, they had nothing to add to my gospel, nor did they impose any new requirements on me. But... Those who were of high reputation. Paul begins with an almost sarcastic note. The Greek word he uses there means to hold an opinion based on appearances. And once again, Paul is determined to know no man according to the flesh. He says, they did not add anything to grace. In other words, I had everything I needed in Christ. I didn't need to know more. They couldn't add more. I had it all in Christ. And I think Paul writes because uh, this because additions were suggested by the opposing party. I can I can almost hear in that meeting as the uh, Judaizers, or the party of the circumcision, crashed in in the midst of his meeting with the pillars of the church. I can almost hear them say, "Yeah, but uh, what? Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about?" And God, uh, God moved those apostles into truth. They were unified in truth. They didn't waver. They affirmed Paul's message. We're not going to add to grace. We never add to grace. Paul's uh, Paul says the suggestions were not entertained or discussed, not even for a moment. Verse 7, But on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, gentiles just as peter had been entrusted to proclaim the gospel to the circumcised jews for he worked effectively for peter and empowered him in his ministry to the jews also worked effectively for me and empowered me in my ministry to the gentiles paul's calling is from the lord and it is equal to peter's calling it is the same they're both empowered by him paul was not empowered by his education Paul was not empowered by the church of Jerusalem. Paul was not empowered by his eloquence or his, his ability to convince or argue his point. Paul was empowered by God and God alone, as was Peter. And it's an interesting point to make because the Judaizers were always trying to set Peter above Paul in, in, in a way to divide. Well, we are from Peter. You remember in Corinthians, I'm a, a Paulus, yeah? Same kind of thing. The flesh, the enemy, always brings division, doesn't he? So, he says, God empowered us both in our ministries. God called us both to our individual ministries. We are equal. Paul and these pillars of the church came to a conclusion or an agreement. The enemy was not able to divide. So, God affirmed his gospel of grace... In both men. It was God who empowered both. Not the church. Not even the message. Verses 9 and 10. And recognizing the grace that God had bestowed on me. James and Cephas. Peter and John. Who were reputed to be pillars of of the Jerusalem church. Gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So that we could go to the Gentiles with their blessing. And they to the circumcised Jews. They asked only one thing. That we remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. They saw God's grace had been bestowed on Paul, and that is not a circumstantial grace. That is an abiding grace. He says, recognizing that the grace that uh, recognizing the grace that God had, past tense, bestowed permanently on me. That's not circumstantial grace. That's abiding grace. And it was on Paul's life every moment. They extended their right hand. Now that was a pledge of agreement and friendship to be witnessed by all. And they ended the whole thing right after that. So Paul and company could get on with their calling. They put an end to it. They didn't belabor it. They didn't talk for 20 minutes afterward. Now they probably went out in the parking lot and spent another hour talking. Because, you know, that's what good Christians do, right? Verse 10 is about recognizing that there there was only one thing they asked of Paul. That's the emphasis. There was only one thing. And look at it. They Paul had actually come to Jerusalem for the benefit of the poor saints in Jerusalem. It was actually a relief mission for him. So it's not like he was neglecting. He came to give aid to the poor believers. However, You need to look at this. This remembrance is in the context of spiritual ministry. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about food and money so much. They're talking about spiritual ministry. Do not neglect the poor in this gospel of grace, which is exactly what the false teachers would have done because they were all about enriching themselves, right? There's no point in having a bunch of poor folk come see you because they can't get put anything in the plate. We need to be, you know, out there giving the hand of fellowship to those people who actually have some money. That's how they thought. So they said, Don't don't forget about the poor. Let them hear about the grace of God. Now it's important for us to stand in the purity of grace. Not just the content, but the purpose. Grace was given to grant us liberty not for our flesh but to empower us to press forward in our relationship with Jesus. It was given to allow us freedom to set aside the appetites and the comforts of the flesh to pursue the greater blessing of growing in truth. Now, we will continue, as we have in the past, to preach and affirm the message of grace, but not without considering its purpose. We must not become man-centered in grace... Yes, that's possible. This is what Timothy describes, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. And if you have time, you can go back and look at the church of Ephesus and what happened to them and follow it all the way to Revelation. And it talks about how they had changed, not externally, but internally. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold. Listen, if you believe that you're here to know about him, you missed it. If you believe grace is about you having the freedom to enjoy whatever you want to enjoy, and Jesus will still love you you missed it you need to understand that God from the very beginning created us for a personal intimate relationship he d- he chose he chose us before the foundations of the earth were formed he chose us and he said i will have this one for my own And this one will love me. And this one will return my love to me. And this one will be devoted to me. And this one will literally be made in my image. And this one will be wholly mine. And this one will be with me for eternity. That's why He made you. And this grace that we are afforded is not a grace of license. It's not a grace of legalism. It's a grace of purpose in knowing Him in love. And returning unto Him the very thing that we were created for. Being to Him all that He made us to be. And I know you don't feel that way all the time. I don't feel that way all the time. But the passion that we have for Christ will not rest. We can ignore it. We can go off on our own. We can play games. We can keep ourselves preoccupied with this world. But the, at the end of the day, there's an unrest. There's a feeling of being unfulfilled. There's a deep dissatisfaction with our lives. And we think it's because we don't give enough. And we think it's because we don't go enough. And we think it's because we don't study enough. But I can tell you the problem is in the purpose of our going. The problem is in the purpose of our study. The problem is in the purpose of our giving we got to ratchet this thing back and align it with truth our created purpose is to know him and to love him nothing less will do nothing else will satisfy we have no other reason to be here can you believe that you are his prize can you believe that you are precious to him Can you enter into the romance of his desire for you, the mystery of his inner working within you? Can you begin to to celebrate it and to live from it? Are you just living life out like a clock running out time? Are you counting the, the things that are good against the things that are bad? Is praise for you about what the flesh embraces? Listen, I believe that we're at the end of the church age. I believe that the time for the people of God to embrace the truth has come. And they're going to it's going to be like that time in Jesus' ministry when many walked away and fell away because the saying was too hard for them. That's what he's talking about in 2 Timothy. It was too hard, it wasn't tickling the ears. Let's hear some more about how we're all uh, in Christ now, and He loves us so much, and we're just abiding in Him, we're just enjoying. I'm not making fun of that, folks. That's true. What is the purpose of it? Is He your passion? I can answer that for you. He is. Just because you don't have that affixed in your soul doesn't mean it's not true. Do you feel saved all the time? I don't. He is there, and He wants you to walk in the truth of his passion for you and the passion that he has put in you for himself. And guess what? The cool thing is that the longer you walk in it with each step, the passion grows. And as the passion grows, you can't wait for the next step. One day you'll enter into eternity, and guess what? It'll hit you like a ton of bricks. I have forever to grow in this, and it'll be
0: glorious. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.